you have your Bible this morning, turn with me to Ezra chapter 7. Ezra chapter 7. How many of you all have made a New Year's resolution of some kind this year? Anybody make a, a resolution? I heard a great podcast recently from a, a pastor I very much uh, respect uh, with the question of, should Christians make New Year's resolutions? And I'm one of these that doesn't usually make a whole lot of resolutions. As a matter of fact, uh, I tease that I always make one New Year's resolution, and that's to only make one New Year's resolution, and boom, I've already fulfilled it, and I'm done for the year, you know? Um, I'm not really a a resolution-type person, but as I listened to this podcast, it made a lot of sense that he said everything in Scripture is resolute, right? It's all about um, not trying to will yourself to work towards salvation. You can't do that. If that's what your resolution is about, trying to work towards something, you're going to fail and you might as, not, might as well not make a resolution. But if you are having the goal in 2020 to allow God to do something great in you and you're opening yourself up to some specific things, I want to progress in these ways, Lord willing, help me to do these things, that's really what all of Scripture is about. Knowing what God's will is, seeking God's will, and being resolute to do it. So so let me go ahead and give you, if you've not already put this in your pocket for things to do in 2020. This is, I'm 100% sure, God's will for your life. Are you ready for this? Everybody wants to know, what's God's will for my life? This is an easy one I'm handing to you this morning. God wants you to know Him more through His Word. I am 100% sure of that. It's his will for you this morning. It's not a, let's pray about it and see what God wants for me. I am positive that God wants you to know him more through his word. And so, can we be resolute? Maybe you missed the first four days of January. Can we be resolute from this day forward that we will be in God's word to know more of who he is Sometimes when we're trying to do things, it, it's hard to get started. It, it just, it's difficult to, to know where to go. As a matter of fact, I, I have a hard time with a lot of things in life, just knowing where to turn and get going because I'm not an expert in a lot of things. And so I found it very helpful in my life, if I'm confused on how to do something, to turn to an expert. If I can get an expert's opinion on something, then then I feel better about getting going. So, for instance, if I needed to know some information about Kentucky basketball, I would turn to Tracy Knight, and I know that he's the expert and could tell me everything I need to know about Kentucky basketball. Or if I needed to know how to choke a bowl game away, I could go to an Indiana fan and find Tyler Remmel, and he could tell me everything I need to know on how to choke a football game away, right? You turn to the expert. Maybe more serious things. If I had a question about music, if I needed to know uh, uh, the key of a song or or, uh, something about pitch, I would turn to to an expert. I may go to, depending on the instrument, Becky, Tom Miller, Sandra Nichols. She's in my notes, by the way. You're pointing to her. You're right there. You made my notes. I would turn to one of them. I'd say, help me out with this, this, this music piece here. If I needed help with with finances or taxes or budgeting, I could turn to to Jim Riggs and and he could help me with some of those things. He's more of an expert in that area. If I needed to build something, construct something, if I I needed some carpentry work done and I wouldn't even know where to go, I could turn to Kurt Thomas and I know that man can build anything. He's, He's an expert. He could do it, right? If I needed help with electric work, 
which by the way, I do. I turn to Odie. Odie, I've got a question about a light switch. I'll catch you after church, okay? I I know I don't know what to do with that. I know where to turn, right? I I go and find the expert. So what about when we want to start reading the Bible? Where do we turn to? I'm going to go ahead and let you know. If you're looking to the pastor to be the expert, I'm looking for an expert myself, okay? But I found one. This morning, I want to look at at someone who is an expert in the law, an expert in the Word of God, and I want to look at what he's teaching us in the book of Ezra about how to read the Bible. It's a really, really simple plan. As a matter of fact, as we read the passage, especially towards the end of our passage this morning, you're going to see the sermon notes already laid out for you. It's that easy to follow. I'm going to let you get your bulletin, and you can fill in those blanks yourself. They'll be up on the screen, but I I can guarantee you, you're not going to have to wait very long to figure out what the plan is that is laid out before us on how to read the Bible. So let's learn a little bit about this expert in the book of Ezra, chapter 7. This expert is a man named Ezra. So in verse 1 of Ezra, chapter 7, now after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, Ezra the son of Sariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah. I'm going to go ahead and pause for just a minute. You'll notice there's a genealogy there, and when we read genealogies in the Bible, we normally go, the son of and go skip to the last one, right? Is that how we normally do things? Um, Anytime you see a genealogy in the Bible, it's not there on accident, okay? It's there with a purpose. It's not like these Bible guys were writing Scripture thinking, you know what we could really do 2,000 years from now? Someone's going to have to preach a sermon and pronounce these names. Let's include all of them in there, you know? Now, that's not why they're there. There's a purpose behind each genealogy. So to get to the purpose this morning, I want you to look at the phrase, the son of, right? So we've got Ezra, the son of Sariah, the son of, and then we're just going to follow all of these son ofs in verses 2 and 3, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahitab, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of uh, Marioth, the son of Zerariah, the son of Uzi, the son of Buki, the son of Eshua, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, and then our last son of, and this is important, so you guys aren't biblical scholars, but you know how family trees work. The son of means the son, and then the son of the son of would be the grandson, and then the son of the son of the son of is a great, great, I don't know how, I didn't count the greats, by the way, this morning, but Ezra is the great, 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 great grandson of this last name, Aaron, the chief priest, and there's our key, is the name Aaron. The chief priest Aaron, his great, 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 however many great grandsons, is this man, Ezra. So we know immediately this is a family of priests, uh, of men who devote their entire life, of generations who have devoted their entire life to know what God's word is. This, this Ezra, and I love verse 6, how it clarifies, of all the Ezras you know, it's this one. The son or great-great-great-great-grandson of Aaron, the chief priest. This Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. So let's pause there again. This is a man skilled in scripture. If you're looking for an expert, we found one. And he's so good at it that, and this is a phrase that's going to be repeated here in just a minute, he knew Scripture so well that we see the hand of the Lord, his God, was on him. How many of you all would love to finish 2020 saying, the hand of the Lord, my God, was on me? 
Ezra has that. And the reason he has that is because he's so dedicated to the word. Continuing in the rest of verse 6. And there went up also to, I'm sorry, verse 7. And there went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king, some of the people of Israel, and some of the priests and Levites and singers and gatekeepers and temple servants. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. So just some background of what's going on. We mentioned in the, the welcome time that Isaiah was prophesying that the people would be taken out of their land. And it happened. Now fast forward a, few, uh, a couple of hundred years. Right? And, and here we see uh, the nation of Israel beginning to come back home. And Ezra is in one of these groups that's coming back home, and he's bringing with him all of the, the temple workers, the singers and the, the servants of the temple, all the people who are dedicated to worshiping in the house of God. And Ezra is the chief worshiper, if you will, the chief scribe of all the temple servants who know so much about the word of God. Ezra knows the most. And they're coming back home. And, and then we read in verse 9, For on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem. So it took him four months, which you can imagine with the, the thousands of people coming with him, was, was making pretty good time on foot. And how did he do that? Well, the rest of verse 9, we hear that phrase again. The good hand of his God was on him. There's a whole sermon that could be in just this verse. For the good hand of his God was on him. And by the way, this is your bait to come back next week. Next week's sermon is going to be on what the good hand of God is. So come back next week and we'll delve into that. For now, let's just know we want the good hand of God. Now, if you've got your bulletin notes, we're going to read verse 10. And the sermon is going to just lay out for you here in Ezra 7, verse 10. For Ezra had set his heart, here's what he did to be an expert. He set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in all Israel. This is our outline that we're going to look at this morning. How do we read the Bible? And so as we look at Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, if you want to fill in your blanks now or do it as the message unfolds, that's up to you. But right here in Ezra 7, 10, how we read the Bible, first, Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord. Secondly, he set out to do it, to put it into practice. And thirdly, to teach his statutes and rules in all of Israel. So if you're wondering, how can I get the most out of God's word? How can I make sure I'm reading the Bible so that the, the hand, the good hand of my God is upon me? It's laid out in Ezra 7.10. Study it, do it, and teach it. Now, now this is kind of a, a progression and an order that we're going to, to go through. And so uh, this morning, if you're taking notes, and I hope you do, there's going to be some, some things you want to jot down next to each one, and I would encourage you to do that. But it's really important that we look at this simple outline and say, okay, God, how do I put this into practice? Well, for starters, if we want to get the most out of God's revealed word to us, we must study it. Now, I'm somewhat removed from high school. I won't say how many years removed from high school, but uh, long enough that I could have gone to high school twice. Okay, so um, I'm removed enough from high school that it's been a while since I've had to take a test in, in grade school. But I've started taking seminary classes a few years ago. Just take one at a time, and I'm getting ready to start another one. And I know how tests work. I may be a long ways removed from grade school, but I know how it works. 
What works is they give you a piece of paper that's blank, and you have to write a bunch of chicken scratch on there and hope that it matches what the teacher wants it to match. That's the basics of how tests work, right? What I have found that if I take that test with absolutely no preparation, I can get a lot of those right. Just simply by having sat through the class and, and maybe general knowledge of things, I can get maybe as many as a third of them right. That's not bad if you're playing baseball, right? But if I want to impress the teacher, if I want to pass the test, if I want to know the correct answers to what will be on there, I can't just approach the test blankly. I have to take some time, carve out, and study what it says. I've tried this a number of different ways. Well, in college, oh, in college, I would stay up late at night reading everything I could read, taking as many notes as I can. For me, if I write things down, it helps me remember it. So I have to have papers of chicken scratch, just of, of me writing things over and over and over again. Maybe make flashcards. And, and I can remember sitting at Denny's uh, trying to prepare for a test during uh, college. I hate coffee, but I drank like three cups of coffee, making myself stay awake. I probably spent more time peeing than I did learning, but, but at least I was investing. And, and, you know, I did pretty good on that test. I, I felt pretty good about it. There's been other tests that I've approached, and I've used the prayer method. Maybe you, you believe that prayer works, and so you take your piece of paper and you say, Lord, can you impart all the knowledge of these notes on my brain right now? In Jesus' name, amen. And you set it aside, and you go and you take the test. How many of you all have tried that, and how well has it worked out? The Lord says, study, right? Get in it and know what it says. There's a difference between, between glancing things over and investing. Right? Ezra did not just read through the Bible. It says he studied it. So what does studying look like as we approach the Word of God? You can jot some of these things down. As we study the Word of God, the first and most obvious thing is we have to begin by just reading it. Now, I wonder how many of us would improve our knowledge of who God is our understanding of God's goodness, if we would just open up the Bible and read it every day. Every day. There's a lot of things that we do every single day we don't even think about that have no significance and no importance whatsoever. Their habits and their routines, their superstitions, their, their ways that we just live our lives that really don't matter. And yet, of the most important things we could be doing, reading the Word of God, it's if we have time. I wonder if we could commit to begin by just, just picking a passage and reading it. I would encourage you, pick a time and pick a place. Schedule it. If you're, if you're busy, then schedule your time with God. That's okay, by the way. We schedule a lot of things that are, are very important to us, right? We schedule sporting games. We, we schedule uh, appointments. We, we schedule to get our hair done or, you know, whatever hair we have. We, we schedule to, to do all of these things, and, and yet we, we think for some reason that, that time with God should be spontaneous. Why? We schedule everything important. Set a time and set a place. Maybe it's first thing in the morning. It's quiet, and I'm going to get up. 10 minutes early. I'm going to brush my teeth, get my coffee, whatever I do, whatever your routine is in the morning, and while it's quiet, I'm going to sit down, and I'm just going to read some of God's Word. Maybe it's like my house, and it's kind of hectic in the mornings. It's hard to do in the mornings, so it's, you know, on my lunch break, or maybe it's this peaceful time in the afternoon, or, or maybe in the evening before I, I sit down or, or lay down for the night. Whatever it is, it really doesn't matter. 
Schedule the time and place that works for you to open up the Word of God and read it. Make it a priority. Make it something important to you. It's one of those things that, that if you forget, typically we go, no big deal, I'll catch up tomorrow. And that's fine, right? Do catch up tomorrow. That, that's great. But if you forget to brush your teeth one day, it's no big deal. If you get to brush your teeth two days, people start to notice. And if you go as long without brushing your teeth as you do reading the Word of God, people will notice, right? I, I wonder, I wonder if we made reading the Word of God a priority, if it would make, make studying it so much easier. Another maybe tip or trick I have for you is, is read manageable sections. <laughs> Don't set goals for yourself that, that you cannot attain. Now, some of you are great readers. I am not. I've tried to read the Bible through in one year reading list. It's too hard for me. I, I'm a slow reader. I can't do it. Maybe a chapter a day is perfect for you. Maybe even that's a little much. And so you say, I can do 10 verses if I'm really going to comprehend it. Wherever you're at, don't be ashamed to go, I need smaller chunks. Or don't be too proud to say, I can read bigger chunks. But find what's manageable for you and, and just read it. People ask, where do I start? Well, where's a good place? I start in Genesis. That's a fine place to start. It's the beginning, right? But a lot of times we read through Genesis and it gets kind of repetitive and we get bored. By the way, Genesis is not boring. When we study it, it's a really exciting book. But maybe that's a hard place for you to start. That's all right. Maybe you don't want to start in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, or Deuteronomy. Maybe you don't want to start in one of the minor prophets. It really doesn't matter. Do you know all of the Bible is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training? All of it is. Start in one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Pick one and read about the life of Jesus. Start with one of the letters to Paul. One of the shorter letters, there's four to six chapters in there. You can knock it out in a week or maybe spend a couple of weeks reading through it. Maybe there's a book in the Old Testament you don't know a lot about it, and you just really want to know more about it. Spend some time reading there. Maybe it's a book of Proverbs. That's what we're doing as a church right now. If, if you're not following us on Facebook, you can look up First Baptist Church on Facebook. We're reading through the book of Proverbs. Today's uh, January 5th. We're reading Proverbs chapter 5. It's easy to remember what we're reading. Whatever the day of the week is, or, or day of the month is, that's what chapter we're reading. Today we had a, a guest, Tom, uh, put a little video on there, just a short, this is what this chapter is kind of speaking to me, what I've learned from it. Maybe God teaches you something else. And, and so just spend some time reading small sections of Scripture each day. So first, if you're going to study, you have to read it. Secondly, what helps me is I, I take notes. I write things down. Maybe you're not a writer. I'm really not. I'm not a journaler. I don't have a journal anywhere. But for some reason, when I physically put down what I'm being taught, it helps me to remember. Write down your thoughts. Well, this is something that sticks out to me here. Maybe write down questions. This doesn't make sense to me. I want to find an answer to this. Or this seems like it's contradicting what I've believed. Or, or this just seems like, like it's deeper than what I understand. Write it down. You know, a lot of times I write things down and immediately throw the paper away. Just writing it down has helped me. Others of you like to keep journals and books that you, you keep stacks of, and you can look back and go, hey, on this day, I read this passage, and I had this question. God's answered it now, but, or maybe I still have this question, or, or this is something God taught me. I completely forgot about it, and you have it there in front of you. Take some notes. Maybe right there in your Bible, some of your Bibles I've seen, boy, they're all marked up, and, and they've got pen marks all over and, and references and dates and they're beautiful oh, they're amazing 
It's almost like a history of your Christian growth in your Bible. You know, there's nothing special about the piece of paper that the Bible is printed on. The Bible itself is immensely special, but the paper is meant for you to, to know God more. Jot things down if you want to mark up your Bible. Feel free. Take some notes. And then thirdly, as you're studying the Word of God, and this is, this is key, listen to other people, to people you trust, trusted commentaries and books. Read some, some trusted authors. If you're wondering, who are some good people that I can read and find out more about the Bible? C- come and ask me. I can tell you a couple of authors that really do a good job of unpacking Scripture. Go to your local Christian bookstore, get a few options, and then, mind you, some of them were off the wall, so make sure they're, they're solid, but you can check with, with other brothers and sisters in Christ. You can check with your church and say, hey, who should I be reading and, and what should I be studying about? Listen to trusted preachers and teachers. Right? Listen to how people unpack it. Here's a truth that, that, that I just thought about and was revealed to me this week by another pastor. It just it blew my mind, this idea of listening to other preachers and teachers. But we believe wholeheartedly that the Word of God is enough, and it is. But isn't it amazing that God, through the Word of God, has also commanded us to have teachers, people who can take the Bible and explain it? Because the truth is, a lot of scripture is confusing. It's no mistake that God said there should be preachers and there should be teachers who have read and studied and when you have questions, can teach it. So listen to pastors, listen to teachers who you trust. Here at our church, we've got great Sunday school teachers. But, but also we've got a, a great resource called Right Now Media with, with all of these sermons and all of these, these Bible studies that, that unpack scripture. Use that as a time to listen and watch them. I'd love to tell you, and during our announcement time, share with you how you can get a Right Now Media account, and you can start studying the Word of God through these these other pastors that we have approved and have trusted. Study the Bible. Spend time invested in what God's Word says. Make it a priority in your life. If you did nothing else that Ezra does, this alone would change your faith. This would grow you immensely, and this would put you on the path that God has for your life. So we need to study it. We need to know what the Word of God says, but then it also says that Ezra Ezra was very careful to do what the Word of God said. You know, our problem with doing what God wants us to do is that we don't know what He wants us to do because we don't read it and study it to begin with. That question, what is God's will for my life? I know what people want when they ask it. I, I get it. Can you tell me what job I should take? Can you tell me what town I should live in? Can you tell me what person I should marry? Can you tell me what school my kids should go to? Can you tell me how I should live my life? And, and that's the question we're looking for. But can I tell you, people look at me crazy when I, I look at them and I say, God's told you and he's revealed it to you. <laughs> if you read this book and do it, you'll find yourself in God's will. Does it say you should live here with this job and raise your family in this way? Yes, actually it does. Very clear outline principles. If you do these things, you'll find yourself in the job you're supposed to have because you're seeking God. And he's faithful. You'll find yourself raising your family with the principles in God's word. You'll find yourself when you study it and put it into practice always in the middle of where God wants you to be. What is God's will for your life? It's so laid out for us. It's ridiculously simple. And yet, we don't read the Bible enough to put it into practice. 
When you read anything in Scripture, whether it's one verse, one chapter, or one book, we should be asking questions like this. Is there a command in here that I need to follow? Something the Bible is telling me to do. Or is there a warning in here that I need to heed? Something the Bible is telling me not to do. Don't do that. Is there a sin that is listed that I need to correct in my life? Or or maybe a question like, is there a change that needs to be made with what I'm doing? As you read the Bible, say, God, what action should come out of this? Sometimes it'll be obvious. You'll read a verse where it says, Ezra took time to study, do, and teach the Word of God. And you go, well, that was easy. Other times you're going to read passages of Scripture that that talk about different Levitical laws, and you're going to go, I have no idea how that applies to my life. But we still ask the questions, God, what are you teaching me? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to change? Studying is hard, but doing is harder. James chapter 4, verse 17 says, Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. When we read the Bible, it tells us how to live our lives. The question is, are we actually going to put it into practice or not? Now, now listen, this is a very key thing, and we're, we're getting ready to move on to our, our third truth, but a key thing I don't want you to miss, okay? It doesn't matter if you accept the right thing to do. What matters is that you do the right thing. Now, let me clarify what I mean by that. Most of us in here would agree and accept the truth that lying is a sin. Every single one of us, if I asked you to raise your hand, would say, I know that lying is a sin. I accept that truth. It's a whole nother thing when you stand before someone and you're faced with a decision on whether or not you're going to be honest and hurtful or lie and swept under the rug. We've accepted the truth that lying is a sin, but that doesn't mean that we have, have done it. When we read the Bible, there is no, uh, I accept it and I'm good. It's a, I accept it and I put it into practice. To quote the great theologian, Yoda, right? (laughs) Do or do not, there is no try. You either practice the Word of God or you don't practice the Word of God. Accepting its truths mean nothing if you don't live it out in your life. The third truth that Ezra did, and maybe the the hardest, because we don't study, we're not putting it into practice, and we don't want to teach it. And so Ezra was adamant to teach the Word of God. And and most of you are sitting here thinking, I can make a resolution to study. I'll, I'll do my best. No, no try. There is do or do not. I will follow what the Bible tells me. But when it comes to teaching, throw my hands up in the air. I've heard it a million times. I'm not a teacher. Right? It's not, not my gift. By the way, it's not everybody's gift to be a teacher. There are multiple ways, though, that you can be a teacher. And I believe wholeheartedly that God has called you. Yes, you who is not a teacher. God has called you to teach the Word of God. I'm 100% sure of it. I have no question in my mind. I think Ezra is teaching us. If you want the good hand of God, you must study it, you must do it, and you must teach it. So what does that look like? Well, maybe, maybe it looks like what we think of a teacher in a classroom setting. And you teach Sunday school or, or you teach Wednesday night study or a Sunday afternoon study. Maybe it's leading a ministry. Maybe it has to do with, with this formal, I have notes and I'm teaching other people. Maybe that is. And for some of you, it will be. I think we average around 100 people in worship in 2019. Just under that, somewhere around there. Uh, We don't need 100 people teaching Sunday school classes. We have four adult Sunday school classes. 
We have several youth and children Sunday school classes. If we have a dozen teachers, we're, we're in good shape. So what are the rest of the 88 people supposed to do? We need you to teach. That's what Scripture teaches, right? What, what are we supposed to do? Well, there's other ways to teach. You know, God has called you to teach, not in a classroom setting, but in a discipleship setting. There's somebody that God has put in your life that knows less about the Bible than you. I know you thought that wasn't possible, but I promise you it's true. God has put someone in your life that needs to know something that you know. That you can sit down and say, as I read and I studied and I lived out the Bible, this is what God showed me. And it may come out in a conversation instead of a a formal setting. It may just be, listen to what God has done in my life and I think he can do it for you. God wants you to be a teacher. What little you do think you know needs to be passed on to someone who doesn't know that little thing. It's amazing to me when we start sharing our faith and evangelizing, how many people don't even understand the idea of Jesus dying on a cross or the resurrection that he came back from the dead. And then you throw in the fact that he was born of a virgin and they go, wait a second, that's crazy to me. What little information you think you know, there is somebody who knows less and needs to know that information. That's called discipleship. Teach it. Pass it on. For all of you, this idea of teaching should take place in your own family homes. And that's perhaps the most important place that you will teach. I teach my son a lot of things. He's, he's two. He's learned a lot of songs because I like to sing. Not well. He knows all of his numbers, one through ten, and even get to twelve on accident a couple of times. Right? He knows all of his ABCs. He knows his letters. And boy, does he know how to say, go cats. Right? He's, he knows some things that his dad has taught him. None of those things matter if I'm not teaching in the Bible. Truth is, we invest a lot of things in our children. We teach them how to play catch. We, we teach them how to read and to write. We teach them manners and how to behave. And All of these things are important, but, but why do we fail to teach them the most important things? We're worshiping every week. That's important. God wants to teach you something every week. We're going to read our Bible together as a family or at least as individuals. We're going to spend time praying. We're going to make Christmas about Jesus. I mean, really about Jesus, not as an afterthought. We're going to make Easter about the resurrection. We're going to celebrate what God has done in our home. We're going to talk about what we're learning and what we're reading. Our homes ought to be the place where almost all of our teaching takes place. I want above all else for my three children to grow up and be strong believers in the Lord. If they're successful and have a lot of money, that's great. I'd rather them be poor and love Jesus. If they're they're faithful in some occupation and spend their entire life earning fame, that's wonderful. But I'd rather them be anonymous and be a believer. We are called to teach, and you have an audience listening your children, your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews, your siblings who are lost. There are people who need to know what you know about Scripture. How do I read the Bible? I've got to study it, and I've got to do it, and then if I'm going to get the most out of what God's Word says, I need to pass that on to someone else. I don't know what your resolution is this year, but I'm hoping that after this morning you will add to it. Maybe it's not a New Year's resolution. Maybe it's a January 5th resolution. That's just fine. 
I'm going to make a commitment to know God more through His Word. I'm going to read it, study it. I'm going to act it out, do it. And I'm going to share it with someone else. I'm going to teach it. And I'm going to seek the good hand of my God on my life. Let's pray together. Father, I ask this morning that you would make us all resolute to read your word. Lord, we'll stumble and we'll fall. We're going to miss days and we know that. Lord, we ask that you'd give us faithfulness and confidence to to persevere. Lord, let it not be about getting through a chapter or a book. Let it be about learning about you each day. And so today, Lord, let us read a bit of your word and learn and change and grow. Lord, there are many people in here who are seeking out answers on how to live their life. Lord, what is your will? Lord, reveal it to them through your word. Lord, let them see your salvation through Jesus Christ. Let them know that that your word teaches that even in our failures, you offer forgiveness. Lord, let us see your good hand in our lives this year. It's in your name we pray. Amen.